Welcome to another week in review on the Sourced Podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher and Jordan McDonald. We're coming to you on Thursday because we've decided here to move our day of national mourning to tomorrow. Yeah. To Friday. Yeah. Friday's day of mourning. There's too much work on. We've just got to keep going to, and we'll <laughs> recognise that tomorrow. There's uh, plenty going on. So that's why we're doing this on a Thursday afternoon. But yes. uh, while there is a public holiday for an event that we will talk about, we have the last couple of uh, podcasts, the death of the Queen and what we've noticed from the way that it's been reported, consumed, yep. engaged in general, the funeral Monday night. So we're going to start today by looking at that funeral and what it told us uh, about the engagement of audiences. Uh, I watched it. Jordan, did you watch it? Yeah, I, I watched up until a certain point. I think it was when they were approaching the uh, the castle at Windsor there. Yeah, you lasted uh, longer than me. Yeah, I thought at that point they announced that the, the second uh, proceeding was going to take another hour and a half before it would start. So I had to tap <laughs> out. It was going to be a one thirty start and I was... I'm up at six in the morning, so I wouldn't have left me too many hours left. <laughs> Big efforts, well done. Yeah, it's all right. It was worth it. You've got to watch it. It's like it's, yes, it's once in a lifetime event. I had to watch. So, how many Australians did watch? Well, that's the interesting thing, and there's been a few good stories uh, this week that have published some figures. So, I'll be looking at a couple of figures from the Australian and the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, so as we know that the Queen's funeral was available across the six major free-to-air networks, and they were 7, 9, 10 Bold, SBS, ABC and then ABC News. Interestingly though, Channel 10 did not show the event. So you mentioned 10 Bold there. So yes. Channel 10's put that on one of its uh, lower-ranked channels, yeah. but the main Channel it 10 didn't show it. No, it didn't show it at all. It stuck to its regular programming for, I suppose, those who weren't interested in watching the Queen's uh, commemoration, yeah. but it didn't work out all that great for them. I think the, their network share for that night was 5.2% when typically it's around 13 or so. So it's one of its worst Mondays in history. Okay, so Channel 10 has decided to go for the market on its main channel that mm. isn't doesn't care about the Queen's funeral. Yeah. Um, a point of difference, the only point of difference on the main channels, but it backfired and pretty badly. Yeah, it did backfire pretty badly. Um, but yeah, if we we look at the five mainland capitals, the Metro TV audience in Australia was at 8pm, it peaked at around about that time, and that was when the it this really started. Uh, it was 3.46 million viewers, but... Um, Across all free-to-air TV, so that could be watching The Queen or whatever else is on free-to-air TV, there was about 4.6 million people watching. So that roughly 75% of people watching free-to-air were watching The uh, yep. the Queen's funeral mm -hmm. there. So big figures, and if they're not watching that, they can be watching one of the yeah. other channels. It might many, be on Channel 10. <laughs> yeah, so many channels that are <laughs> around now. So, so significant numbers, bigger than... Most TV events we see in Australia, that they are serious numbers. But um, you also looked at some of the numbers in the UK, which are quite interesting. Yeah, I had a look at the UK numbers because I was interested interested in comparing Australia versus the UK. And obviously, it's in the UK; it must be a big event, and it was. But it wasn't quite the um, the sort of historic, massive, most watched event in the UK. Um, so. An average of 26.2 million viewers tuned in across the UK. Yep. Um, and a large portion of that, I think 18.5 million, they were watching via BBC. Okay. Um, but comparing these numbers to some of the other big events that have 
you know, been televised. You had Princess Diana's funeral in 97, 32 million. Wow. Uh, we had 27 and a bit over 27 and a half million watched Boris Johnson's uh, prime ministerial statement in 2020 when he announced his plan to ease the first COVID lockdowns. Yep. And uh, another one, just um, just to compare, we had 24.5 million for the opening and closing ceremonies of the London 2012 Olympic Games. They're fascinating numbers to compare those because obviously they're um, some major events mm. there. So to see where the funeral stacks up is is uh, interesting to say the least. So w- what did you make of, of the whole thing? Um, it was certainly a massive event and it would be really interesting to know what the true number was. Obviously, all these... All this um, data here only looks at the free-to-air TV. It doesn't factor in streaming, any of the social media, uh, yeah. anything like yeah. that. So I think that the number, I think, prior to the the service was estimated at $4 billion. I don't know if it got that or not, but I reckon it would be really interesting to see if we included the streaming, particularly now that it's, it's the death of a major monarch in the yeah. era of social media. That's it. It's... Uh there's so many interesting comparisons to check across this because mm. of that social media era, but it does take something significant to get us around the TV these days, like the old days, I think, and yeah. that was one of the events on Monday night when mm. people said, well, I will have a look at that. COVID did that in particular, and COVID did that because it impacted our lives so much. Mm-hmm. We had to watch, we had to take in information there because that dictated how we could live our lives at the time. What I found very interesting was how much the younger generation knew about the royal family uh, and they knew less than I expected, yeah. which I found very interesting because I guess when I grew up, of course, there was no social media, uh, there was no YouTube to distract you. You had to watch the TV news at 6 o'clock at night because mm-hmm. you know it was on most channels. Um, yep. And you got an idea of who was who in the royal family. Uh, you mm. learned that at school in particular, uh, in, in terms of um, you know, the constitution of Australia. So I, I guess for my generation, knowing who was who in the royal family was just sort of, you know. Yeah, um, normal. It was normal, yeah. So I was really interested in listening to some of the commentary from people about how little that younger generation knew. Who the heck is Prince Andrew? <laughs> Who's this Prince Edward guy? Who? Oh, so yeah. So the Queen had four kids, did she? Yeah, she had four kids. Oh, mm. okay, right. Oh, look, there's Meghan Markle. Yeah, from Suits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's so, what they all think. But the, the younger generation know the Harry and the Meghan thing. And, and yes. so, therefore, is that that really... I guess, important way for the royal family to engage in that young generation. It's that celebrity type thing. So they couldn't care less who Prince Edward is Mm. or isn't. Um, You know, spare me some of the details about some of these, you know, cousins or whatever. But I'm really interested in the celebrity um, goings on with Mm. these, these members of the royal family. So... I'm interested, you're, you're a different generation to me, so I'm interested in, in your take on that. I can only speak for myself and a few of my friends who I've spoken to, but we, we do know very little. We were talking about this before the podcast, how it was normal for you, and you just mentioned it again, but it just isn't something that's really discussed among us. Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting to watch 
the Queen's funeral because a lot of what we're seeing, what we saw was for the first time or new to us. Yeah. Um, particularly for my younger brother, Dad uh, Dad works on radio and decided to call William for an interview on the... Uh, <laughs> Just really struggling for talent that day, apparently. I hope he took his call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, William was saying how little he knew but how captivated he was watching it and it's inspired him to go and learn about it more. So yeah. I suppose, you know, while it's a sad day, it's been good for a generation that probably knows very little but now more about the Royals. Yeah, and I, uh, I reckon Google was working overtime on Monday night because um, – I typed into Google while I was watching the funeral uh, some things to do with Westminster Abbey um, Mm. because I've been there before. I find it a fascinating place. And as I typed in W-E-S into Google, it just brought up Westminster Abbey. So so I'd reckon there was a whole lot of uh, self-educational things happening at the time. Mm. Um, And, yeah, so as much as the royal family may dislike the celebrity reporting of some of the things uh, in the family. For this generation that's coming through now, this younger generation, it, that may be their contact point. Mm. So does that make the royal family relevant, less relevant, yeah, whatever? Yeah, I was just wondering, now, what will that do? For How will the royal family be perceived now that there's a generation hopefully learning more? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see um, what happens as time goes on to see how, you know, as these older generations, um, you know, get towards the end of, of their time and they're so mm. engaged with the rules, what the, the new generations uh, do engagement-wise. So very interesting few weeks in terms of what uh, audiences do. There was another piece this week that came from the New York Times that um, we wanted to bring up today, and that was on LinkedIn, which uh, LinkedIn – you know, which is really the, uh, I guess, the corporate social media as such, the uh, the, the way that people uh, engage uh, through their, their work, really, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the New York Times tells us in this LinkedIn article, Jordan, that some things may be changing with LinkedIn. What, what was your summary of uh, what was in this article? Yeah, so what I took from this article is that LinkedIn might be – uh, might be becoming a little too similar to the other social networks that it's sort of always sought to distance itself from. You know, you mentioned that it's always been the corporate sort of yeah. space. and yep. some the, f- pe- the things you'd put on Facebook you wouldn't put on LinkedIn. No, not at all. And people on LinkedIn would prefer to have the feeds very separate. Yes, yeah. Um, so the article in the Times, uh, it introduces a LinkedIn user named Joel Algy and he's a recruiter who uses LinkedIn to find job seekers. Yep. Um, and the article goes on to say that Joel posts about his personal life now on LinkedIn, mental health and his life since, yep. and that vulnerability has rewarded him with high engagement. He's built his followers there from 9,000 to 140,000 in, in six months. That's a lot of followers. That's a lot, particularly Man. for LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so then the, the question is, you know, why is this place that was, you know, for online resumes and jobs, suddenly this safe haven for all these personal vulnerable posts. Yes, yes. Um, and the answer in this case for the article was COVID largely. Uh, with the lockdowns that were in place, uh, office workers, they missed the in-person interactions yep. and um, with colleagues and they all turned to LinkedIn to talk about things more than just work. But it 
these online interactions, they were guilt-free because like, they felt like work because yes. of the space that it was. It yep. wasn't Facebook yes, or Instagram. They still felt like they were being productive. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, you know, today's LinkedIn feed has become somewhat of an obstacle you know, between the I'm happy to announce and, you know, congratulations <laughs> on this. There's plenty of I'm happy to announce posts. Oh, isn't it? There's <laughs> lots of it. We'll get to that little rant in a moment. Um, but there's there's posts that are crying selfies, all these long reflections yes. about overcoming something and, and it's bothering some users, if you can't tell. <laughs> it says yes. it distracts them from the information that they've gone on LinkedIn to find in the first place, yes. which is obviously the jobs, the corporate-related yep. stuff. Um, so yeah, the p- personal and vulnerable posts have been on LinkedIn before, but never at the volume that it is today. Uh, and LinkedIn has actually played a role in encouraging some influencers to join the platform. It's uh, very interesting, that. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Influencers on LinkedIn. Yeah, they yeah. didn't specify what sort of influencer, yeah. but uh, I, don't, I think an influencer's mind is I need to get content that's going to be viral and they've yeah. just sort of defaulted back. This is not Kim Kardashian no. influencing. It's, no. a, it's a corporate influencer. That's it. And they hoped they would come on here and, you know, influence leadership or work-related topics, but it's just obviously not been the case in most circumstances, not all. Um, Another interesting point from the article that I found very interesting was uh, this changing definition of professional. LinkedIn actually surveyed 2,000 people on LinkedIn and then 60% of them said that their definition of professional had changed since the start of the pandemic. And I think that might mean that LinkedIn's purpose in the professional sense might be changing as well. So what do you make of it? Because you, you know, as we say, you bring a perspective from um, your generation, which is different to mine, but I'm really interested in what you think of LinkedIn sparked by this article. Yeah, look, I think LinkedIn will start to be more and more recognised as a social media network, but it will still remain a place to post, you know, your, your work achievements and your aspirations for for jobs and whatever else. Um, But I do think there is, like any platform on social media, there is a toxicity that exists within it, particularly LinkedIn. Um, You know, every time I open it up or don't open up LinkedIn, I've got, you know, a thousand bazillion notifications of just rubbish things that I don't care about. (laughs) Um, All those sponsored direct messages. Yep. Yep, they come in a lot. Um, My feed at least my feed shows a lot of the people I went to school with and they post these like nauseatingly positive <laughs> updates <laughs> that don't even sound like them. <laughs> and I know that they don't sound like them because LinkedIn suggests captions for you and they're all the same. So it's either yep. generic or it's really yep. just waffle. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, it still really is the digital resume that you're constantly updating for your employers or potential employers. And I think the platform does do a good job of connecting people with jobs. It's obviously, yeah, uh, it's a it's a revenue uh, generating platform for its owners. But I guess I was interested in the New York Times piece about this, uh, you know, increase in more emotional type posts mm. because that to me is a growing gap yep. in the use of LinkedIn by generations. Because I guess I'm in an older generation and my feed has nothing about vulnerability in it. All that my feed is is a bit like what you've mentioned, that everyone <laughs> is having an awesome time at work. Fantastic and time. Everything is marks everywhere. That's right. Look what yeah. we did. This is fantastic. <laughs> no one's had a bad day LinkedIn Never, in a long, long, long time. Um, everything is 
awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe younger generations are using it in a way that I don't see as much. Mm. I guess that to me there are some really good LinkedIn users and, and I know some who post really interesting stuff yeah. like, and it, it is very much worth while, while reading. Boy, I have trouble finding it now. Yeah. Amid all the um, – well, um, very happy to announce I'm starting a new position. Yeah. I don't even know you'd left the you – know, well, yeah, before that one, it. I haven't caught up with the, the job in between. Yep, um, so, yeah, I think LinkedIn's just got to, yeah, watch how that, that generational gap Mm. Um, occurs there and um, but for all that we talk about with feeds etc we know that LinkedIn is built around revenues and it's value for recruiters for networking etc um, you know as you taught as a young journalist follow the money yep you know say so follow the money on LinkedIn well you know where where that is mm-hmm. um, now we often talk on this podcast on on the weekend review about uh, Facebook yep also known as Meta um, and there are some stories during the week about, and we should really have some type of, uh, I guess, uh, sad music to play here because uh, Mark Zuckerberg has lost $71 billion uh, of, his, of wealth. He's lost an enormous amount of wealth. There was a coverage about this wealthy. during the week. He's still going okay. 20th rich in the world. Yeah, he's still going okay. Yeah, he's, but, still uh, he's, had, he's had a loss. Tiny violin for Yes, Zuckerberg. a small violin. Mm. So... Um, so almost exactly 12 months ago, the shares in Meta peaked and that was when Mark Zuckerberg was travelling at his wealthiest. But things haven't been so rosy. We know that um, Zuckerberg renamed uh, Facebook to Meta. There was uh, impacts around the, the stock price at the time. Um, there was also a bunch of negative publicity um, from uh, whistleblower that we discussed here quite extensively. Um, we've had a decline in daily users um, that was, uh, again, publicised. Um, we've had uh, an historic stock collapse in February. This is sounding quite bleak for Meta now that we yeah. bring it all together. Yeah, um, it's not great. We've had um, Instagram, <laughs> part of the Meta family, of course, uh, really doing its best to uh, try keep up with uh, TikTok and the way that TikTok is uh, ploughing ahead with uh, new users and reshaping the social media experience for some people. Yep. And, of course, we've had the ongoing, can Meta crack the metaverse? <laughs> can it do it? And the stock market so far isn't showing great confidence in a breakthrough anytime soon, judging by the share price. Um, but, of course, over the last year, it's not just been Meta, but the entire tech industry has suffered losses. So they're not on their own. Jordan, what do we make of this? And most importantly for us, are we closer to the metaverse? No, I don't think so. I'll be blunt. I don't think we're any closer, at least for for Meta. Um, the snippets I've seen of the metaverse that they're building at the current stage of its development, it's it's a long way from what Meta says and has described it as being. One of the issues that keeps coming up is that Zuckerberg really wants the metaverse world to be so visually perfect that it's indistinguishable from the real world. Okay. And um, currently there's no optical headset that can do <laughs> that that isn't too bulky or too heavy or you're properly finished. It's a big aim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's also the pressure of competition too. So since they've announced they want to build a metaverse, just about every other tech company yep. who's got the capabilities has started doing yep. their own and has surpassed meta already well and yeah. truly with some better technology as well. 
Um, yeah, there's been articles online saying that Facebook's technology isn't as impressive or innovative as some other companies. NVIDIA is one good example. Yeah. Um, and then there's the obvious factor of cost. You know, he, um, Zuckerberg spent $10 billion on Metaverse alone last year and says it will just keep bleeding money for the next three to five years. Wow, what a With chance. With no guarantee it's going to be done then either. $10 billion yeah. in last year alone and uh, there's yeah. more to come. It's said this, uh, we've discussed it many times, this, this is sort of the next phase in this wider technology race. Mm. Um, who's going to win it and will they win it? Yeah. And and will it be worthwhile? Um, you know, and I don't know how many discarded gaming headsets there are around uh, houses in this country when people get in. Yeah. And in the end, they don't seem to use them as much as they go back to the old consoles they've used with their friends with headphones on them. Um, That's it. Yeah, so, you know, these things look good. Will it get there? Well, we'll talk about it again. But, um, yeah, if you... Uh, if you spare a thought this weekend, do it for Mark Zuckerberg. He's doing it tough. Um, <laughs> what does the weekend, the uh, morning long weekend, uh, hold for you? Uh, tomorrow was just, just a day of nothing but morning. Promise you that. Uh, maybe a mow in the morning. Uh, the weekend's pretty busy for me, though. There's a, a competition for, for DJing that comes to Brisbane every year. Right. And that goes across Saturday and Sunday. So I'll be helping out with judging for that. And plus I've got work that goes either okay. side of those days. So judging panel. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be there all weekend and working around that. Right. Pretty busy weekend. And, of course, it's the uh, Queensland Cup Rugby League Grand Final. Mm-hmm. The mighty Norse Devils are in there Saturday. Yeah. 3.15pm. Devils going for back-to-back premierships. Um, good luck to Tyson Gamble, who were the... Uh, Number six yes, jersey with yes. the 55 comms logo on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll be cheering for Tyson and for the Devils. So, of course, that's where you'll find me on Saturday afternoon and um, recovering Sunday. <laughs> Best of <laughs> luck. Enjoy the weekend. You too.